authors, I'm Joanne Morell, children's and young adult fiction writer and author of Short Nonfiction for Authors. Thanks for joining me for the Hybrid Author Podcast, sharing interviews from industry professionals to help you forge a career as a hybrid author, both independently and traditionally publishing your books. You can get the show notes for each episode and sign up for your free author pass over at the Hybrid Author website to discover your writing process, get tips on how to publish productively, and get comfortable promoting your books at www.hybridauthor.com.au. Let's crack on with the episode. authors. I hope you're all keeping well in whatever part of the world you reside and listen to the podcast in. Today's interview is with award-winning children's author Meg McKinley on repetitive strain injury RSI. Meg shares her experience with battling RSI and other chronic pain, what the signs of RSI can be, ways you might go about managing RSI and certain mechanics on how you may avoid developing RSI through various practices. And of course, as Meg states in the interview, she isn't a medical professional, nor am I. Rather, Meg simply shares her experience on the subject, which I know you will all find extremely useful. So on my author adventure this week, it's been a bit of a struggle, actually, which is, I suppose, kind of fitting with today's topic. Yeah, I have to admit on all fronts, really, the writing, children just all of it has just been one of those one of those fickle weeks I guess yeah my husband has been working most of the week so I've had the children full time and I think it's just constant without having a break or time to myself which I, I'm someone who definitely needs that <laughs> and I don't know if it was just that or you know I just noticed as well with my writing, I am here, there and everywhere. I will sit down. My intention will be to get up to do some writing on a specific project and I'll sit down at the computer and then my mind's gone off to this place and then I've just jumped across there, here, everywhere. And I've honestly gone to about five different things. It's a real lack of focus. So I, it's either... I don't think I'm overloaded. I just think it's the way that I work. I'm just fast this way, that way, and I really have to rein it in. But it was I was actually noticing, I was watching myself from afar do these things so I can be aware of pulling myself back down to earth and being like, no, you've got up to do this task, you need to do that. And so I was feeling a bit lacklustre because I think jumping all over the place and then you sort of end up falling on your arse and doing nothing at all, really. <laughs> So from from sort of feeling a bit blah, I sat down and made an Excel spreadsheet and broke down the tasks for each area of my book business that I needed to do something in. So, you know, there's writing, obviously writing an ongoing project. So for myself at this moment, if you listen to the podcast, you'll know, well, sort of know because I'm only talking about this on my newsletter. I'm into a women's fiction project. And if you're interested in keeping up to date with what's happening there, you can sign up for your free author pass at the hybridauthor.com.au website and uh, yeah then you'll start getting fortnightly newsletters from me keeping you up to speed there so there's that and there's quite a lot involved with that at the moment so I've I've broken down those little tasks into chunks daily you know little things that I've got to get done and they're kind of small and I quite like that because you know even if they're small when you achieve them you tend to do more I find like you could move on to more for the next day and be ahead of the game or just be happy and satisfied that you actually achieved those two things today for that specific project and 
there was some joy in actually writing next to it achieved 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 because I do reflect on this podcast for my processes and all the rest and that's a good thing but I think that just just the little things I need to be more aware of yeah you know you did this today good on you and that's that's great pat yourself on the back type of thing and and the other areas was you know currently I've got two non-fiction books that are out author fears and how to overcome them and freelance writing quick tips for fast success for those of you who haven't heard me talk about them or didn't know already they are available for purchase so obviously ongoing marketing of them I need to do that so I contacted a couple of libraries uh, from my hometown and you know all that takes time as well but just uh, saying on this day you know contacting say two librarians make them aware that you know I'm a local author these books are here if you're interested in adding them for your collection it's one small step forward in the author business doing it myself anyway and then the other side was obviously this podcast Podcast, which I've uh, been doing for obviously a couple of years so that is quite mechanical yeah and just just felt so much better to have broken it down in the scheduling organized manner so it just shows that you know you can start having a bit of a crap week a bit of a down a struggly things aren't going so well and just like that something will come along the next day turns around and you feel a bit better about a situation so for anyone who's listening who feels a bit lackluster with their writing or just how their whole authorship career is going hang in there i'm sure things will turn around for you very soon so in caravan plans we as the time of this podcast goes out we will have left darwin and we have been here it's very bittersweet because we've been here about a month and a bit we ended up staying extra because my husband got that extra bit of work and i'm telling you i could if you've never been here come here it is fantastic well come in the dry season anyway (laughs) which it's still some days the humidity is like a bit full-on you know i had the shower the other day and i just still felt like I hadn't dried myself properly or something because I just felt wet (laughs) but I think it was just the humidity often think we could live here we definitely could the rates of pay and stuff apparently is a bit better in in my husband's trade industry and it's, it's just amazing there's so many spots and culture history it's just fantastic but a wet season here I just don't know if I would be able to do it I think you'd be you know you're just quite sticky as it is in the dry season but some of the days have been a bit cold but the highlights have been going to the Mindel markets it was territory day last week I think on the first I'm not sure if I talked about that last week and yeah they had fireworks going off and it was just a massive community atmosphere everyone was down this Mindo beach and i know that was people in town as well and that that's all been fabulous all the the free water parks here they're like they're like big big water slides flumes uh pools and splash things for the kids it's all free probably because it's so hot i don't know and they have this wave pool down the front which is not free but it's quite cheap to get into so there's just so many great spots it's a great place to live up here everyone's super nice and laid back and i've never seen any trouble or anything like that it's just been been really great so we are really sad to go and even though we were saying oh we could stay here i'm just like i don't want to get stuck here this is what we've met people going around there was a couple at the markets in Broome, and this the guy makes these beautiful stone 
uh, clocks or chopping boards. I don't know how to describe it. And we would just, he said the same. They were traveling. They came to Broome. They'd only just gone on and started and they'd been there 14 years. <laughs> they'd never left. So we've still, we've still got to get around. We're itching to get to Queensland. So we're off to Kakadu National Park next for three nights. Then slowly making our way into Queensland. We're kind of just hightailing it across to, I think we're going to Tablelands. Again, places I've never heard of before, but Cairns for a week and then on to Mackay. Uh, those are the two definites so uh, stay tuned so if you love the podcast or any of the episodes have helped you further in your author career you can now pay it forward by buying me a coffee over at buymeacoffee.com slash the hybrid author let's all support each other Meg McKinley is a children's writer and poet. She has published 20 books for children, ranging from picture books through to young adult novels and a collection of poetry for adults. Her work has won numerous awards, including the Prime Minister's Literary Award, the Children's Book Council Book of the Year Award, the Queensland Literary Award and the WA Premier's Book Award. Her latest title is Ella and the Useless Day. Welcome to the Hybrid Author Podcast, Meg. Hello, thank you for having me. Uh, We're absolutely thrilled to have you. We're just going to jump straight in and find out how you came to be a writer and have this glittering career. Well, to be honest, hearing you read my bio and use phrases like glittering career spins me out a little bit because I'm not someone who would ever have imagined I'd be in this position. I am not one of those people who, you know, has always wanted to be a writer. I What I have always been is an observer and a scribbler of bits and pieces. I'm not a natural storyteller. Some writers will tell you, oh, I'm a storyteller first. That's not me. I am a scribbler of little fragments that have nothing to do with narrative. So for years and years, my writing was really just, you know, little bits of disconnected stuff jotted down into notebooks, fragments of observation with just little things that caught my eye, just to turn a phrase or some funny little thought that I wanted to capture. As I say, no plan or thought of ever being a writer. But I love studying and I love thinking and and I love the luxury of following ideas down the rabbit hole. And so I ended up in academia teaching and doing research and just kind of continuing to scribble bits and pieces along the way. And one day it occurred to me that one of those little scribbles was looking Looking a bit like a poem and so I shaped it a bit and lo and behold it did turn into a poem and so my very first publications my first steps into writing were individual poems for adults rather than children and they were in literary journals um, in terms of children's writing I got that bug after my daughter was born which is a long time ago she's um, 25 now so I sort of returned to children's book through my love of reading to her and one day when she was about four we were on a car trip and I just made a silly little comment to entertain her that turned into a silly little beginning of a story and I guess because I was reading her all those picture books I just there's something in me turned on and I thought hang on a minute this sounds like it could be you know the start of a story and so I wrote it and I sent it off and that's where things began but it wasn't a straight line by any means I sent that story off oh and that book was eventually published but not for many 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 years it ended up being my 10th book I had a lot of learning to do and I wrote many pictures books and several novels before something was eventually picked up. It was about five years of trying, hundreds of rejections, all kinds of things. So yeah, I started thinking 
about writing for children in about 2003, 2004, and then it was 2007 when my first book was published. A long and winding road. Yeah, sounds like you've run the gauntlet, <laughs> but also that it was meant to be. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I'm I'm, I'm wary of those sorts of thoughts of, of that, you know, this was meant to be, this is where everything has been heading all along, that way of seeing things that I guess wherever you end up, you can look back and say, well, it's obvious how things were heading in this direction because that's how things work in retrospect, right? But I do, I am, I feel really grateful and am really glad that I found a way to narrative. It still doesn't come naturally. I'm still much more at home with, you know, the sentence fragment and the image and the poem and that sort of thing. Absolutely, yes. Well, today's topic isn't so glittery and glamorous no. as a <laughs> narrative. A different it is, sort of struggle, yeah. Yes, on repetitive strain injury, RSI. So mm. we would love to hear your story uh, about RSI. You know, how it, it might be a new term to our listeners or some people might be ignoring this term or who knows. But mm-hmm. when was the first time you'd ever come across it? And uh, yeah, and then experienced it firsthand. Sure. So I'm going to preface everything I say with the standard disclaimer of this is all my personal experience. I don't have any medical training and so please before you take any of my advice any advice that I might offer just you know go out and do your due diligence but my experience with repetitive strain injury RSI it's look it's a term I suppose I've known it all my life really it's um it's it's a phrase that I was familiar with as something that didn't apply to me um it it's a thing that happens to old people or, you know, weak people. And I'm putting these terms in inverted commas because I think I had the invincibility of youth, you know. It, despite having grown up with some health issues, I would never have imagined that something like this was going to be a part of my life. Um, I've, I guess I've known of RSI as something that happens to people who, you know, perform the same motion over and over, workers on the factory line, that sort of thing. I knew it as a thing that applied to elbows and to wrists, you know, your tennis elbow and all that sort of thing. But I would not have thought that that could have anything to do with me. I had some, had some very early niggles of pain in my wrists uh, I would say wrists, hands, forearms back in probably 2014. So that's seven years after my first book was published. And I was not writing full time then. I had left academia uh, in order to have more time to write, but I was working part time for an arts organization. And what I was doing was I was managing their digital communications. So I was working remotely and I was doing all of the online stuff. I was loading content onto their bulletin board, really, really click heavy work. It involved a lot of mousing back and forth and back and forth. So in addition to my writing, my emailing and all the other mouse related and keyboard stuff, I was doing this work, which was just, I think for me, that was probably the tipping point that just that clicking and that clicking and that clicking and then constant having to move around through different fields and started to get all these little niggles. And um, as I say, I suspect it wasn't just the writing, it was the combination of all those things. Of course, because they're just niggles and because I was invincible. I ignored it all, you know, in the way that you ignore things until they go away. But it didn't go away. What happened was it started to get worse over time. It it settled into a sort of a low-level background hum, consistent but low-level. And if it's low-level, you can still ignore it. I did start to employ some strategies at that point. I began to parcel up tasks sort of into different bites of time. I started to mouse with my left hand. But what I didn't do was I didn't reduce load. And partly that was out of loyalty to this 
organisation that I was working for. They had no one else to do the work and so I had to do it. So I just kept putting in the hours every day, doing all of this clicking that I could tell. It became more and more apparent that this was, and I'm going to use the word toxic because it, it was physically toxic uh, for me. And um, yeah, so it was a progression from the first niggles in around 2014 to uh, a real tipping point in early 2017 when it was very, it was abundantly clear that this was a real problem. I was still ignoring it, but um, my hands and wrists and forearms were screaming at me and telling me to stop. Was it, when you say niggles, was it like uh, tingling or was it pain or was it burning or heat or? Yeah. So, so when it was, when it was niggles, when I, yes. And, and, and that's probably the first sign that I'm not a doctor, you know, that I don't yes. think that is a diagnostic term, the niggles, but just probably, probably to begin with sort of a dull ache in the wrist, some, some tingles in the hands. I mean, I live now with that, uh, what they call peripheral neuropathy, which is that tingling in the hands and fingers and that sort of thing. When I wake up, most mornings I feel like my um, hands are asleep. You know, when your feet go, go to sleep and that sort, sort of thing, it feels like my hands are twice the size that they should be and that they are completely numb and swollen. They're not actually swollen. That's how it feels now. But in the beginning, it was probably low-level tingling, bit of a dull ache. But at that point, if I backed off, you know, if I if I went off and did something else for a few hours, um, if I had some time away from clicking, it would settle down. Uh, but that is a bit of a trap because when it settles down and you tell yourself therefore it's fine and it's settled down and you've dealt with it you can resume normal programming that's obviously that's where the repetitive strain and wear is coming in so yeah and I I am more fortunate than most people in some regards because my husband is actually he's a clinical psychologist but he works in chronic pain management and he said to me when I was first saying oh my wrist oh, it's really painful you know he said don't ignore this. Don't be stupid about it. He said, I see this all the time. It starts out as nothing and people ignore it because it's nothing. And they come to me when they're in a crisis. Please don't be foolish. And of course, I was foolish. Yep. And yeah. As probably most of us would be though, you know, and especially if you're doing something that is your work and you're involved in it. And it's just, like you said, you, you can feel invincible. You've got things that you're trying to get done. And so you assume, you keep saying, I'll just get this finished. I'll, I'll meet this deadline. I'll get this work done. And then I'll deal with that. But there's always one more thing. There's always one more thing. And your body, it's not going to wait. Yeah, exactly. Oh, goodness me. From obviously it get, getting worse. Did your husband advise you on who to see and, and what came after that? It's one of those funny grey areas where, I mean, you can get a diagnosis. You can go to a GP and say, hey, I've been doing all this clicking for 20 years and now my wrists and arms are on fire and I physically can't use them. And he'll say, well, it's RSI, which is, I mean, it's one of those obvious things that it's a, it's a sort of an umbrella term that can encompass all, all, all sorts of injuries. But what I was experiencing, was classic RSI, which is, I mean, if you look up, just go to Dr. Google. It is a case where you can go to Dr. Google and it will tell you wrists, arms, hands, tendons, etc. This is what's happening. It doesn't really change the management. Some people will be, my, my GP said, um, look, you can try a wrist brace. If it gets really bad, there are steroid injections and that kind of thing. It was already really, really bad at that point. I didn't want to go down the path of injections. I wanted to try behavioral and functional management because I knew in myself, I'm the kind of personality and the kind of person that 
if I went and got a steroid injection that backed it off and brought me a bit more relief, I was just going to then push back up to that line as far as I could because I was still working for the arts organisation that I was working for. It was, and I know I, I keep referring to this in a way that's probably strange, but the fact is there we were a two-person team and there was only one of me to do that job and there was no one who could step in and pinch it. And I felt a sense of loyalty for this organisation and the work was there every single day and it had to be done and, and I was the person who had to do it and so I was in this situation. So I, I knew in myself that if I went and got some kind of term relief, that I would take that as an opportunity to just keep working. And so what I had to do were much more functional and long-term changes. And so that is what I did. And, and look, I had reached the point. I had reached the point in 2017. It sounds ridiculous, but it's like anybody part that you cannot imagine how much it can hurt until you've been in that situation. I've just had surgery on both feet. And I could never, and this is unrelated to the RSI, <laughs> but I could never have imagined how much a toe could hurt until I got into this situation that I've been in recently, where toes are incredibly painful. Wrists, forearms, fingers, hands, they, I felt in 2017 as if after a few minutes at the keyboard, it was as if my hands were on fire. They were screaming at me and I would go and put them in the freezer just to feel that cold. I would go and run cold water over them and then I would go back and sit down at the desk and continue to do this work. I wasn't writing then because I couldn't. All I could do was this other work that was the day job that where I was beholden to someone else. That's what I was doing. So it was clear to me that I needed to make some major changes yeah, oh my gosh, that is dedication, you know, to, to be in that pain and then still doing it is insane. And also, I kind of agree with you, I guess, about the, the cortisone injections, because it sounds like not, if, if that works for someone, that's great, but it sounds like it's just, it masks, you know, it's pain relief to sort of mask the underlying issue there. And then just having that and then, yeah, going back to just full steam ahead until the next one and the next one and the next one. And probably doing what you're doing is, is the correct way to go forward. It's carpal tunnel does that come under rsi that's the same i thing. believe it does yeah i believe it does and and again i i wouldn't want to speak no. to you know yeah. the differences but like the shades of gray and those sorts of things my feeling is uh, that carpal tunnel is a uh, kind of a more specific injury uh uh, yeah, it's it, it's a more specific injury. Whereas what I had was, I mean, there may be some elements of carpal tunnel in there, but mine was much more generalized. Mm. And um, really, you know, and when I'm talking about it now, I can feel it like the connection between the mind and the body is so incredibly interesting. Mm. I, I can sort of look, I'm looking down, if you could see my face now, I'm yeah. looking down at my hands and kind of imagining them glowing. Yeah, uh, because it, it feels it's less specific than I suppose you can tunnel might be generalized across that whole area and and I have a funny thing now you know there's that cliche of the old person who can feel that weather's coming in because their trick knee is playing up or whatever mm. I know I've got I've got another chronic condition I live with um I've had chronic pain for a long long time um like well before this in a different sense and now I live with fibromyalgia which you know possibly is part of the reason why I developed this I had some underlying issues there already 
already or it may have been exacerbated by this and tipped over who knows it's a chicken and egg thing but I know when I'm flaring up when I'm going into a fibro flare now because my forearms my wrists and arms will start to go I can feel them start to tingle and they feel hot and swollen they're not actually swollen they're not actually hot but they feel that way that this has become my early warning sign when I'm going into a fibro flare so you know it's, it's all connected and obviously I think my body was screaming at me for a while possibly in a lower grade less specific way um, and I had been ignoring it and um, it ended up just everything just crystallized in in the RSI to a point where I could no longer look away. Yeah, goodness me. How has RSI now impacted your writing? Are you still sitting at a computer doing it or are you less frequently uh, doing it? Or What happened in early 2017 was that this had all gotten so bad and wasn't getting any better that I realized I am not going to be able to write at all if I continue doing this. So what I did was out of sheer desperation, I bought a headset and I bought some voice recognition software and I would never in a million years have thought that I could be someone who could work like that. I had an incredible resistance to doing it. I thought this is not going to work, but I had got myself to a crisis point where it was it was really the only possibility. And so that is one major change that I've made in terms of the way that I work now. I work a lot through writing by dictating. I don't like the word dictating because it sounds so constructionist. So I did that in 2017. I made that change and I was surprised at how quickly I adapted. I don't always work like that, but it's a matter of breaking it up and mixing it up, you know. And if I can do 50%, of my narrative work in that way, that's taking off a lot of load. I had quite early in the piece, I didn't mention this earlier, but when I back, when I started to get those early niggles, I guess, or perhaps about a year after that, I taught myself to mouse with my left hand. So again, not something I would ever have thought that I'd be able to do, but it's amazing how quickly you pick it up. And I'm fully ambidextrous in that sense now, just with the mousing. In fact, by default, I mouse with my left hand. So small changes that I made along the way that have been helpful. But in a more general, holistic sense, just not being dogged and pig-headed and listening to my body, breaking up the time, you know, chunking. It's, I mean, it's not good to sit at your desk for hours and hours and hours anyway. It was never good for me on a physical level. It's not good for anyone, even if you don't have pain. But I would rarely work much longer than 45 minutes at a stretch now. And a lot of that is not mousing and keyboarding and clicking. Um, some of that is dictation. Some of it is just sitting back and thinking. But even so... It, you know, even if I haven't got a lot of words down, I will still get up after 45 minutes and I will go and do something else. And I know a lot of writers out there are probably going, oh, that's ridiculous. I can't do that. I need to get into flow. Fine. If that works for you, that's great. I would just say, just listen, just listen to what your body is telling you. We writers, we have a lot of noise in our heads and maybe we're not as tuned into our bodies as we could be. So I have made to how I work. The biggest overall change and the easiest change for anyone to make is just that pacing and chunking up of time. You know, if you just reduce the length of time that you are spending in a single block, and then if you in other ways try to reduce the load on one side you know learn to mouse with your left hand perhaps think about adapting your writing practice in some other ways perhaps you can do a little bit of, di of dictation um, I don't uh, use voice controls to edit 
I would find that time consuming and frustrating. But because I am dictating most of the the narrative writing that I'm doing, and it works for poetry as well, it's brilliant in that kind of conversational associative tone. It's great for that. I found it really, really functional. But because I'm doing most of that by dictation, that means that I'm not having to use the capacity of my wrists and hands for that. And that means that then I've got it for editing, which is fiddlier. And by the way, I should also say that I did eventually leave that arts job. I just yeah. think this is <laughs> not functional for me. I'm, but that was after a few years. The other thing you can do, and I know a lot of people out there are probably thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me because I don't have a problem. No one has a problem until they have a problem. And perhaps you don't have a problem until you realise you've got a problem. And that may be, as it was in my case years after you've actually if you're honest with yourself seen those early warning signs you've registered them but you've tucked them away because you don't want to confront them so things that you can do now perhaps you know I'm a writer and I don't want to use cliches but the truth (laughs) is prevention is better than cure so at the very least even if you want to sit for six hours and get in flow and all the rest of it make sure that when you're doing that your setup is as ergonomic as you can make it so you don't need me to tell you what that is the information is all out there on the internet but at least make sure that you're doing it in the most ergonomic way that you can and there are stretches and things that you can be doing and again all of this information is out there really readily available on the internet you just go out there and google you know rsi wrist stretches and even if you think oh this isn't really helping me you know i'm doing it now because it just feels good and even if you think i don't need to do this i don't have any pain whatever i guarantee you there are a couple of basic stretches out there that you can do Mm. that when you do them you are going to feel your shoulders start to tighten and then loosen it's not just your forearms and wrists i feel like i'm an evangelist now (laughs) It just gets the blood moving, it starts to tighten and then reflexively you loosen everything up and it's just, it's good for you and it will work in a preventative mode. So those are some of the things that you can look at on yeah. a, a kind of a low-level low intervention. Yeah, absolutely. They're all fantastic. Even for anybody who is just at a desk job, doesn't have to be writing or whatnot, it's yeah. always recommended for the stretching, isn't it? So I suppose yeah. everyone should be doing that regardless of whether they've had the tingling or the pain. But if they are looking at doing the career and they're not doing the right things and uh, putting, you know, putting their body through the stresses and then they start to feel these things. So like you said, offloading onto other, you know, I'm a right hander offloading onto the left I found uh, at my job I was clicking incessantly with the index finger and I just started moving fingers it was actually rubbing off the top of it it was that trigger uh, and also rather than clicking I was rolling started rolling the mouse up and down the page which was something that I could have done ages ago but obviously if you do ignore yeah. it and it has come about full steam uh, much like yourself so you've now switched doing little bits differently and you're now using the dictation software what is the software that you're using is it that dragons or yeah so i use dragon naturally speaking which you know i'm not here to advertise any particular no 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 but i did think if i'm going to do this I'm going to do it properly and it needs to, it needs to be a purpose-built software. I, I had tried uh, the, the um, I think you'll find that most um, Microsoft packages, yeah. uh, whatever operating system it is that you're using, will have a built-in dictation function that you can access, but that is not a good measure of how the dictation mode is going to work if you use purpose-built software. It is just, it's nowhere near as sensitive and you can't train it in the same way. Get purpose 
purpose-built software. I use Dragon. I don't know what else is out there. I found that Dragon software is fantastic. And also get yourself a decent headset Mm. that um, is going to work with that software and interface in a way that is going to give you the best chance of training that software Mm. so that, you know, your error rate will gradually drop. And look, it didn't take long for me to train it up in a way that meant that it was extremely functional. And when it gets things wrong, honestly, I find it hilarious. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And um, sometimes actually creatively useful because, (laughs) you know, it it misinterprets things in a way that make me stop and laugh and relax and sometimes send my creative way, my creative brain off down rabbit holes that are actually quite useful for me in other areas. That's amazing. The error rate is, is low now. Yeah. Are you finding it's actually a quicker way of working? Yes. Well, intimately and effectively, I could work now 100%. Yes. Simply because I'm so limited with what my wrists and hands can actually do. But even before I would say, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty fast typist. I, I'm old enough to have learned to do some <laughs> typing when I was at school and to have, you know, done a computer program that trained me up to type and that sort of thing. Um, I learned to type through touch type software as well. So I'm a reasonably fast and accurate typist. But once I had accepted, and I think perhaps I was fortunate in that I had got to this crisis. Oh, look, I'm not recommending a crisis point for anyone, no. but I, because I got to this crisis point where I really had no option. This was the only way I could write. Mm. So I just had to push past the resistance, push past all those initial, you know, trials and struggles with the software and all the rest of it and say, this is what I was doing. I had no options. And that's what I did. I got to know the software. Mm. I made friends with it really, really quickly. And perhaps I was working on novels and because, you know, I was writing in first person, I was able to drop quite quickly into that conversational tone and it works. It's really fast. It's, it's, it's as fast, if not faster as typing. And I find that in some ways, you know, I'm a very character focused writing uh, writer. I start with character and voice of that character because it is a voice that is coming naturally out of me. There's something about the fact that it's not being channeled. You know, I, this sounds insane, but down from my shoulders, down my arms, through my wrists, it just feels like it's more immediate somehow. And even working in third person, I tend to work in third person close point of view. And it just, it feels like the access somehow to my characters is more immediate and direct. It's, it's fast. It's very effective for me. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I'm glad it's it's working out. It's not turning a bad situation into something good, but you know, you're working with what you've got, which is great. So you've already shared so much, Meg, so many so much advice uh to every, all of our listeners who either is a cautionary tale or anybody who's mm-hmm. starting to experience and ignore tingling or burning or feeling in their fingers. Do you have any advice, final advice you want to share with the audience on RSI? Uh, look, I guess when you're asked to give your top tips, it always boils down to, you know, sound bites and cliches. And it really is. I guess it's things like listen to your body. Don't ignore the early warning signs. Don't assume that you're invincible, even if you're young. And, and don't write off the alternative. I, I, as I said, I feel like I would have written off the idea of dictation if I hadn't been at that point where I had no alternative. And I've, I've spoken to a few other writers online through Twitter. Occasionally you get a writer saying, oh, my God, my wrists are really sore, my arm. You know, can anyone tell me braces, stents, you know, injections, all that kind of thing. And, and I will sometimes say, look, I know you might feel a bit of resistance, but this has really worked for me, this dictation. 
expectation. I go, oh, I don't know if I'm there yet. I think, yeah, well, maybe just give it a try. Because even if you're not there yet, that idea that you have to get to that point where you can't do anything else, I feel like that's not necessarily the right way to think about it. And perhaps if you start to mix a little bit of that in early on, you know, it'll give you it'll it'll give your body a break, but also you might find that it will lead you into a different mode of writing. So don't don't write yourself off as an adaptable writer the brain that changes itself you know we are so plastic and open to new ways of doing things absolutely no well said there and may i ask what are you working on what can we expect from you in the future uh what can you expect from me in the future a lot more faffing about i would say (laughs) a few more books i've got i've got a picture book that's coming out in i think september or october called Always Never Always. That's with the glorious Layla Raj. I've got another picture book coming out early next year with Karen Blair. That is called How to Make a Bedtime. There, there, there's a few picture books in the pipeline and picture books are where I have found myself the last couple of years because I've been struggling with longer narrative. That being said, I am working on a junior fiction, a couple of junior fictions at the moment. It's, it's very slow going, but I am hoping to have something new out there in the next few years. We'll see how that goes. Yes. Um, I can't make any promises, but I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic. Yeah, well, yeah. it sounds like it has slowed you down, but it hasn't also. <laughs> so you're still putting yourself out there and still creating lots of work. So we're very pleased for that. Can you tell our listeners where they can find all of your wonderful books? Can I just sum it up by saying all good bookstores and, and also probably the average ones and and probably also the secondhand bookstores. Um, look, you don't find a lot of my work in um in department stores in places like Big W and Target, but you can you can find them in in all specialist bookstores. You can find them at all online retailers. Um, please don't email me and say, "Can I buy a book from you?" Because the answer is no. And if it's something's out of print, then you know I I don't have any either. Um, my my books are just in the normal places that you would find. books. I suppose. Sorry, that's not a very informative answer, is it? <laughs> but they can, can they, they can come to your website and see which books you've got. And uh... oh, yes, yes. Um, you can. You can come to my website and see uh, the the many books that I have written. And um, and I'm in all the various. I'm on social media as well. I'm not. I'm not on there very much. Um, partly that's because of the clicky clickiness of it, but also it's because I'm an introvert and just the idea of, despite the amount of words that I've thrown at you today I'm I'm an extreme introvert and the idea of putting myself out there in social media land is even enough for me to kind of want to take a step back and just go to the beach instead so you know I'm on Facebook I'm on Twitter I am on Instagram I have a presence on all of those places I don't post a lot when I do post it's often not book related it's just some random weird thing that I've observed but I guess based <laughs> on where we began in this conversation that's how I began as a writer and that's how all my stories start from some random weird thing that I've observed so that's probably on brand for me and in terms of self-promotion um i don't know if my publisher would agree but that's possibly uh, <laughs> it's possibly the most organic authentic way that i can be so yeah, yeah. yeah and that's amazing as well. yeah no thank you so much may we get thank you for your expertise on this subject and joining us today uh it's been incredible hearing your story and i'm sure we've taken a lot from it so thank you thank you so much
So there you have it, folks. Such an engaging and informative sharing of story and experience there from our very own Meg McKinley. I'm a huge fan of Meg's books. She is a hybrid author writing across genre age groups. So go and check out her work if you haven't already. Next time on the Hybrid Author Podcast, we have we have Dr. Aparna Barua chatting to us on women leading the way. I wish you well in your author adventure this next week. That's it from me. Bye for now. That's the end for now, authors. I hope you're further forward in your author adventure after listening, and I hope you'll listen next time. Remember to head on over to the Hybrid Author website at www.hybridauthor.com.au to get your free author pass. It's bye for now.